How's it going? This is Kenneth, and you're listening to The Kilted Preacher. Shalom. Chai Pasach Shabbat. Or, Happy Passover. Uh, this is Saturday, the 16th. And Passover officially started Friday evening uh, when the sun went down. And we'll continue until uh, Saturday the 26th. Um, I love this time of year. Uh, this is also known amongst uh, uh, us Gentiles as, well, yesterday was Good Friday. And so we're going to have Easter Sunday on Sunday. But it just happens to fall on uh, Passover this year. So I think that's really neat. And that's really cool. And uh, yesterday morning, I was just spending some time with the Lord. And uh, he hit me with uh, some more word um, actually pertaining to some stuff that he said, like uh, that I mentioned in my previous podcast. So after this one, uh, you should go listen to that one. And if you haven't listened to my last one, then this one won't quite make as much sense. So. You should definitely check out my last podcast. Uh, uh, what is it? Episode 14, season three, episode 14. Uh, I mentioned um, global blight and prophetic or gospel gospel fight. Check that episode after this one. But anyways, I wanted to get into this because it's very highly appropriate. And uh, the timing is just immaculate. Uh, with everything going on. So, um, if you don't know, and this has actually happened, in case you woke up from a coma that you've been in for more than three years, uh, that was a little joke, but not at the same time. Uh, there's been what has been called a global pandemic. It has been planned. It has been, uh, completely, uh, coerced and manufactured. Um, into happening and so it makes perfect sense that the people who caused it would predict it to happen just two months prior to quote unquote when the pandemic started and you can look it up uh, you can google it because it wasn't kept in the dark it wasn't secret and it's not a conspiracy theory at all it's called event 201 and it was brought to you by the World Economic Forum and Klaus Schwab, who I've mentioned. Um, they predicted that there would be a uh, highly contagious um, global high alert pandemic that would be that was bound to happen in October of 2019. And lo and behold, uh, just two months after that we had an outbreak of the coronavirus, which was completely manufactured, which is why to this day, there's not a single isolated strand of coronavirus uh, on record, on file, to be had, to be uh, examined and, and tested and studied uh, in the United States. Um, some of the reason why the tests are inconsistent is because this virus was put together by other viruses um it it's nothing new they do this quite a bit with other stuff um like for example okay here in the united states we have vaccines that are typically made 
from uh, deadened or uh, extremely weakened strands of viruses or synthetically uh, made viruses for your body to learn which antibodies to throw at it and and be able to uh, deal with that kind of infection. And that's typically how vaccines work, right? In Europe, though, uh, especially in the eastern part of Europe, it's not so uh, uniform. What those are called are bacteriophages, and uh, they're used to fight off uh, their parasitic Uh, that latch onto specific uh, bacterial infections to then fight that bacterial infection. Um, And these viruses are engineered in labs and, um, like I said, mainly in Eastern Europe. It's not a widely accepted um, practice, but it has shown to be effective. Uh, But basically coming off of that technology is how they've been able to engineer viruses and even grow their own viruses and make their own viruses and uh, come up with antidotes for other viruses by creating new viruses. And that's kind of the guise of how the COVID-19 outbreak happened in the first place, because supposedly they were synthesizing this virus to come up to to uh, simulate another virus and then come up with an antidote for that virus, if you want to think of it that way. But um, what they were actually doing, because it actually doesn't make sense in how they were uh, processing and delivering. Anyways, what they were actually doing was increasing uh, COVID-19's ability to infect and make it extremely contagious. Um... If you think this is the last that we will see of a global pandemic, this was just like practice, essentially. They were just seeing if they could pull this off, and I'm sure those at uh, the World Health Organization who work for the uh, World Economic Forum, by the way, the the uh, director over who is a board member of uh, the World Economic Forum, just FYI, um, they were they were testing to see how effective this is. So, and they were to use this uh, all all as an elaborate scheme. And this has been decades in the work, by the way, um, to start what's called the global reset. Um, they they call the global reset the fourth industrial revolution. But if you look that up, if you look, if you Google Carl Schwab in the Fourth Industrial Revolution, you'll find in an interview with him, he basically talks about how they want to uh, essentially cancel all debts, digitize everything, information. They, they use words like information is the new oil, and they want to make you digital. They want to make everything digital. And they want all your information to be monitored, everything you do from your phone, your computer, like every aspect about your life for uh, the social credit system like that, like that has been implemented in China. And by the way, uh, Xi Jinping is also a speaker and a board or a member of World Economic Forum. Um, So 
there you go there. Uh, basically, they want to take away everything, and they want to control your life, and they want to have a massive global culling of the human population. They want to wipe a certain percentage of us out so that the rest have more resources, or so they think, or at least as they're telling us, which... Um, that's that's not reading in between the lines at all. Like they have stated stuff like this. You could look up interviews, and uh, it's it's uh, it is staggering. And then you got Schwab's uh, little lapdog Yusef, who is even more open about it than Schwab is. And uh, Schwab in his book about COVID nineteen, which he had published in July of twenty twenty which is an awful short time to have written a book to have it published, by the way, um, calls the majority of people in the world uh, useless feeders. So their idea that they talk about very openly, but don't outright say, like, they, they dance around it, but then they, they Freudian slip and then Schwab doesn't say in interviews, but say in other sources, like in his book, uh, like they, they wanted to, they want to control people. They want to change who we are. They actually want to manipulate our DNA and change the human species. Uh, so going beyond changing human behavior, they want to change the human, which they have been very open about. And that's, uh, some of, uh, that's some of the reason for also the, uh, COVID-19 vaccines is because it's an mRNA, uh, quote unquote vaccine. Um, the United States health organizations that are part of the government, like CDC and FDA have had to change the definition of vaccines so that what's called the COVID-19 vaccine fits the definition of a vaccine because if they didn't then there was um major legal was possible but to while that uh was actually going on while there was a suit about that whole issue about it actually being a vaccine and, and coercion and uh states were going to win uh pretty early on during this pandemic uh they had to change the definition of vaccine and then it threw everything um threw everything for a loop and took the rug out from under those who were spearheading that lawsuit anyways um so yeah if you haven't noticed uh a lot of things have been changing globally and it's not just here in the states um it's the same coercion worldwide and that should be a huge red flag and that should tell you that something is up and if you haven't been paying attention pay attention because overnight, like, I don't know if you remember back in 2020, but literally overnight, the whole world just got arrested in fear. And it, it was very sad. And I was actually very disappointed in seeing how the United States reacted to this because we have not followed normal pandemic procedures like how uh, the United States has 
in the, in our health organizations like HHS and things like that, we have not followed normal protocol that has been written that is black and white. And this is stuff they even taught us in high school. Um, I learned a lot of this when I was in world history class, uh, and we were going over, um, the big Spanish flu outbreak that took a third of the population of the world in the early 1900s, man, that is weird to say, uh, being an eighties baby. Anyways, um, yeah, we, we, we didn't follow normal protocol at all. And initially Trump was trying to do the right thing during that time. And if you think I'm an avid Trump fan, I'm not an avid Trump fan. Uh, I did disagree with some of his policies. I think it was great that he shut off travel certain places, especially where the origin of the virus uh, originated from, to which he was called a racist, which was hilarious because then, you know, current administration kind of did some of the similar stuff. But anyways, um, but then there was this uh, wicked witch with a scarf who really influenced a lot of his decisions. Uh, about how to handle the virus. And also, we know Mr. Fauci, uh, Mr. Fakey, uh, and how he kind of strong-armed a lot of stuff. And a lot of the... uh, A lot lot of the policies that were made about the pandemic, I completely disagreed with because it wasn't even normal quarantining and pandemic or endemic uh, protocols. So... It makes no sense to quarantine the healthy. It really doesn't. Um, it's not logical in the least. Um, you cannot... I figured people would know this. You cannot, like, prevent or try to prevent what will be. Because simply based on there's a potential. Like, if anyone remembers 80s and 90s movies, you'd remember Time Cop with John claude Van Damme. And it would... You know, the moral of that story is you can't arrest someone before they commit a crime. In the same way, you can't you can't quarantine someone before they're infected. Like it, the same morals apply to that situation, uh, because then you have overreach, and then you you step into uh, inhumane um, inhumane practices and inhumane policies, and uh, that's kind of where we're at. And most people don't remember. Uh, learning from history in school about the trial in Nuremberg uh, after World War One, uh, the Geneva Convention that said, let's not do certain things if the whole world was to go to war or when we go to war with each other, let's have gentlemen's agreements about how to go to war. And some of that's being broken right now between Russia and Ukraine, but that's a whole other thing. Um, I guess because now some of that stuff is getting close to 100 years old, uh, we don't particularly care about it even anymore, even though the U.S. adopted laws and created laws in alignment to the Nuremberg laws, which should prevent coercion and mass hysteria for stuff like um, a virus or, or forcing everyone to stay home and can't work or forcing everyone to wear masks. Um, this kind of stuff is uh, against the Nuremberg laws, which we adopted in our own U.S. code. Anyways, that was a bit of a tirade, but to surmise, my point being about all of it is there is a lot that's been going on, and there's a lot of things that have been uh, coming against us, and by us, I'm, I'm not even talking about just the United States, I'm not even talking about Texans, I'm talking about us as in humanity, 
there's been a lot of things that have come against us as humans uh, by by a group of people that took it upon themselves to decide the fate of the world. Quite literally, like this isn't Illuminati uh, conspiracy theory. Like there really is. You could look up their videos now. They have it under the guise of uh, you know uh, uh, green policies and you know. Um, not only economics, but ecosystem and this, that, and the other, but it's a place where they try to tell world leaders, uh, how to run their countries. And that's very dangerous. Um, as we have seen for the past 2000 years with, uh, a man from the Vatican that has tried to, you know, crown the heads of the monarchs in Europe and, and shape the course of European history. Um, it doesn't go over too well. And it results in the deaths of thousands, sometimes millions. Great example that I like to pull from is there was a particular queen consort of France. Uh, her name was Catherine de' Medici. The Medici family is one of the families that um, like to hang on to the popacy or did at that time. And so there was a lot of Medici popes. Um, and they were before the Habsburgs. And then, you know, after the Medici's it was practically the Habsburgs that, that came into power. And you might know some of the Habsburgs. Uh, the current royal family in England has descent from Habsburgs. Um, the Spanish royal family, Habsburgs, and, you know, uh, that that whole family, uh, it was just, it's, it's a sad history. But anyways, uh... I find it extremely appropriate that the Lord was giving me some words, and that's kind of what I was getting to with all that. I kind of rabbit trailed a little bit. Um, reminds me a lot of a people that, you know, there was there was uh, an overreach from the government that was controlling the lives of a group of people, a specific group of people, an ethnic group of people of Semitic descent uh, in Egypt, and how... There was artificial inflation. There was artificial shortages, like when they took away uh, their hay for their work. You know, they stopped providing the the stuff they needed to do the work to fill the quotas to, you know, meet the demands of the pharaoh at the time. And um, there was, a, if you don't know, there was a takeover uh, from one dynasty to another between Joseph and uh, Moses' time. You had the Sea Peoples come in, and it was a completely different uh, dynasty of pharaohs in the time of Moses than it was with uh, Joseph. So it makes sense that it says right there in Exodus that, you know, uh, there was a pharaoh who didn't know Joseph or his people. Uh, you had the Sea Peoples come in uh, between them and completely change things. And then you had Upper and Lower Egypt, and then there was all kinds of... Um, there was a aristocratic caste system that was in place. You had you had an aristocracy um, that was put in place. Not that they didn't have one before, um, but it just changed everything uh, geopolitically and you know social economics, like all that. It, it all changed whenever the sea people came in. Some people would argue for uh, better. Some people would argue for worse. But either way point is it's historical it happened and um you had the enslavement of the hebrew people 
And I find it absolutely hilarious. Another side note, but I'm going to just make this a quick sentence. I just find it absolutely hilarious when you have Egyptologists or historians that will say that, yeah, there's evidence of a Semitic group in Egypt uh, who were enslaved, but they, but it couldn't have been uh, the Jews. It couldn't have been the Jews. I find that hilarious when they say stuff like that. Um, at any rate, have you ever stopped to ask yourself, well, how did they enslave uh, a group of people to do the work. Am I saying they built the pyramids? I don't have any biblical uh, scripture to go off to say that the Jews were enslaved to build the pyramids. I, I, that's not in the Bible. Uh, but they were enslaved to do work. That's in the Bible. Um, were they enslaved to do the pyramids? I don't know. They were enslaved to do hard labor. That much I know. Uh, but have you ever asked yourselves, like, how did the Egyptians enslave uh, the Hebrews? Well, there was a wonderful book by a 14th century writer in France who uh, very much uh, would be labeled a libertarian by our standards, wrote a book about how dictators kind of come into power and essentially, whether through brute force or other means, they convince a whole people at some point that it's good for them to rule over them. You know, that's very broad and that's very general and vague but a dictator convinces the people that it's good for him to rule over them that there is a problem that needs to be solved and only he has the answer to um, and if you look throughout history that that's very much the case you can look at Mussolini and the Gestapo you can um, look at Che Guevara you could look at Fidel Castro uh, Fidel Castro actually played both military parties he played both the good guy and the bad guy to make himself look like the good guy in the end of things but actually he was playing both armies uh, and you actually see this going on right now uh, with the whole Russia Ukraine thing uh, don't think for an, an instant that it's actually two opposing uh, parties the guys that are actually doing the fighting yeah that's the case uh, the Russians and the Ukrainians, your your average Joes that are actually being forced to fight each other, yeah, th they are very much politically divided. Uh, but the actual people that are that are uh, staging the warfare, that are that are doing the theater, it, it's two sides. Uh, it's because there's greater things that they are attempting to achieve through this war, and some of it has to do with that globalist agenda that I've mentioned quite a bit with uh, Carl Schwab and the World Economic Forum. If you noticed, uh, certain things are getting blamed, uh, like gas prices, is because of the Ukrainian war. However, gas prices have been going up since the beginning of the year, well before this war actually kicked off in Ukraine. Uh, but nevertheless, this current administration, regime, I want to call it regime because that's what it is, it was a takeover. Uh, you cannot convince me, especially when you refuse to audit, you cannot convince me that uh, this man won the election. Um, you cannot. No, the numbers don't add up. It was physically impossible for some areas for uh, that many votes to come in in that short amount of time for this current incoherent geriatric case that's in the White House. Uh, because it was like physically impossible there wasn't enough vote counting machines to count to the number in certain areas and it's impossible to have over 100% of the population who have registered to vote to vote for anybody that's another issue 
it's also prior here's a tactic that that uh one one political side here in the u.s does if they can't get voted in they change the laws so they can get voted in which is why they make this whole uh big issue with the border the southern border is because they want illegals to be able to vote and what i mean by illegals is i mean people who are entering the country illegally most of them are not mexican so it is not a racial thing um you even have uh, Europeans that are coming in through the border illegally right now, not just Ukrainians. Actually, a lot of the Ukrainians, because of this whole political issue going on, a lot of them are able to get in. But then you have Russian refugees who some of them lived in Ukraine and got displaced because of this Ukrainian war and wanted nothing to do with Russia or, you know, be forced and coerced into joining the Russian army uh, who are also seeking asylum. And they're being turned down simply because they're Russian. So that's another issue. You also have people of Middle Eastern descent with uh, their own agendas trying to get in through the southern border, too. You don't hear about that, but it's it's still prevalent and it's there. Um, the biggest thing that I have with the southern border is there's a lot of human trafficking that's uh, going on during all this. That's the sad thing. That's really the sad thing going on is there's tons of children that are being trafficked for uh, sex work. And it's really sad. And this current administration is not only not doing anything and anything about it, but they're facilitating it. So you literally have um, pedophiles in office who are making it easy for pedophiles to purchase children for a certain amount of time in certain areas. Um, Dallas, Texas, which is close to where I'm from, got busted two years ago for one of the biggest human trafficking rings, and it was ran by a mother and her daughter, and they found them because they deposited more than a certain amount before it gets investigated, and uh, they deposited over that amount, so it got checked out, and that's how they actually found them out. And in downtown Dallas, amongst the skyscrapers, uh, and a building her daughter and freed like 40 something workers uh, most of them children but some of them women um, and this current administration through their border policy right now are coercing and facilitating a lot of human trafficking going on so it's pretty dark right now uh, this is a pretty dark time um, and so the Lord gave me a word I've been mentioning the word for 30 minutes now but I haven't even said it but it's because I really want you to get the picture. I really want you to understand what's going on is whether through commission or omission, meaning either we've agreed with or allowed, um, we've kind of gotten to the point where we are at now. Um, and there's been not nearly enough people being vocal about their opposition to any of these uh, overreaches or any, any anything about this takeover that has happened and let me tell you something with the uh, this is also a side note but hear me out with the primaries that just happened here in Texas let me tell you it won't make a lick of difference if it's Abbott or Beto because both of them are on the globalist agenda I am absolutely certain Abbott did not win uh, the primary Howell might get audited but I am absolutely certain he did not win the primary there was too many Texans 
that were vocal and fed up with what he's done. But he's been on Gigi Ping's payroll, just as a, a Dallas County Commissioner has been on the payroll, uh, Gigi Ping's payroll for too long. Both of them have sold out to the Communist Party in in in, in China, and now we have uh, quote unquote retired um, army officials from the People's Army in China who are connected into our electric uh, infrastructure in South Texas uh, near Lufkin Airport and have had access to the whole state's grid, electric grid, which is some of the reason for uh, what was aptly known as uh, Snowmageddon in February last year. Uh, wasn't the only reason. It was also uh, some gaslighting that was done and some poor decision-making from Governor Abbott. Um, but what I mean is, it, it, in a sense of, it doesn't matter who who wins uh, the election for governor. What I mean is, not in the sense that it doesn't matter because it won't affect your life. I mean, it doesn't matter because both of them are on with the CCP's policies. They're both about, uh, about the globalist agenda. So it it doesn't matter... Uh, this is a takeover in Texas and you need to see it as a takeover in Texas. And, um, they've infiltrated all the way down to, uh, council members with your counties, uh, judges, um, mayors, like it, it's, it's gone. It's trickled all the way down, uh, to the local level. Those who are on board with the globalist agenda, uh, even in, first, um, it's, it's, it's bad. It's it's really bad, uh, and it's about to get worse. Um, but that's not why I wanted to uh, do this podcast. I just want you to understand the severity of the situation. Okay, so what the Lord actually showed me, though, is even though all this is going on, think about. Uh, he didn't say this. I'm telling you, though, think about what was going on in Egypt. Whenever Moses and Aaron confronted Pharaoh, it kind of made things worse at first for uh, the Hebrews that were in Egypt. And it was getting really bad. And then there was the 10 plagues. And then on the final plague, which is where Passover comes from, when the spirit of death passed over the houses of those who believed and put the blood of the lamb on their doorpost. But the, um, the spirit of death took all the firstborn of anyone else in Egypt uh, it was it was really bad for everyone like there was a lot going on during that time and there was a lot of turmoil that was going on during that time but then in a moment and in an instant like they they were thrusted out of Egypt and not only were they thrusted out of Egypt uh, they plundered Egypt on the way out and that's what the Lord hit me with is he was telling me that, um, we will be stepping into a massive leaving out of Egypt, meaning, uh, there's going to be a point soon where the majority of people are going to wake up and no longer buy a lot of this agenda that's going, that's being, uh, forced down our throats through the mainstream media and social media and things like that. Basically all these vehicles for propaganda right now. 
um, we're no longer going to buy that, uh, buy that story any longer. He also said, and this is something that I'm excited about, that he's going to cause another great awakening here in the United States. And I'm excited because I've never seen an awakening. I've seen revival, but I've never seen an awakening. Um, and you might hear some people actually say, well, revival is, and what they're actually talking about is an awakening. And real quickly, the difference between the two is Bible for believers. Revival is for, uh, it's for believers who are wavering on, on some things, or they're not, um, they're not quite up to par in faith on, on things. And so the spirit of God comes and does a work in the people and quickens them as it says in King James, but like livens them, brings them back to life. Um, so revival is for believers, but an awakening is for people that don't yet believe. An awakening is when non-believers get hungry for the truth. And it's a stirring that's caused by the Lord. And he's going to stir the hearts of Americans to seek out truth. And they're going to learn the truth about a lot of other things, like what's going on politically and stuff like that. But the main thing is they're going to get hungry for the truth, the truth, the gospel truth. And so we as believers, we need to prepare ourselves for the fact that there's about to be a massive harvest. Like we need to get ready. We need to prepare for this thing. We need to make sure uh, we have all the tools that we need for this massive harvest because it really is a shame if uh, if farmers aren't able to harvest their whole crop, you know, and some gets left and and uh, goes to waste, you know, no farmer ever wants that, right? Well, neither does the Lord. He wants all of his children, right? And so we need to position ourselves. Unfortunately for us, we have a word that God is doing another wave uh, of revival at Deliverance Bible Church. Um, and I've never seen a second wave of revival, so I'm excited. I have no idea what to expect. I don't know if it's going to be exactly similar to how revival came in the first place, because typically how a, a revival starts is God opens up revival by putting a stumbling block in front of the whole congregation. And what it is, is it's a stop and pay attention or it's a wake up and smell the roses kind of moment. It's a, it's an attention getter. And the best way I can describe it is uh, like Jacob when he was wrestling the angel. You know, he's asking for God's blessing, which is very similar to uh, revival. You got a people that get hungry and want God to bring revival. And so you're wrestling with the Lord before the sun comes up. And he says, let me go. I must depart. The sun's coming up. And he says, no, I won't let you go until you bless me. And so the angel of the Lord touches Jacob's hip and puts his leg out of socket and then asks him, what's your name? And that was a very confrontational question with the equally physically confrontational uh, hip out of socket, leg out of socket of his hip. And it was an attention getter. And it was to make Jacob realize the Lord saw when he swindled his brother out of his brother's inheritance that he saw when he lied to his father about saying he was his brother. It was the Lord saying, hey, we need to deal with this root issue. If we can deal with this root issue, I can then bless you. You can then be positioned uh, to receive the blessing that I have in store for you. And it was in that moment that Jacob changed Israel. 
So he was no longer the usurper. He was the one who strived and fought for and became the victor over. He, he was uh, the prince who overcame. Uh, and he was the prince who conquered and gathered his inheritance in that sense. Uh, that's kind of the bigger picture with the name Israel that he was given. He was, he was uh, the prince who strived and fought for. Um, and the Lord gave him his inheritance uh, because he believed, right? Well, with revival, similarly, there is a there is a confrontation of sorts that deals with a reflection on the self, and this is a repeated theme throughout the scriptures. You even see this in the time of Jesus, um, and it causes people to leave. It causes lots of people to leave. Uh, you could go to John chapter 6, verse 66. You could see uh, with one question, Jesus made most of his followers leave. And then he turns to his 12 and he says, are you going to go too? Like he presented everybody with the same question. And then that's where Peter gets his huge blessing. Uh, very much like, like Jacob. And so I don't know if this second wave is going to happen like that. I don't know if there's going to be this massive confrontation from the Lord and it's from the Lord and it's never to shame and God doesn't shame in these moments, but it's to highlight an issue where God's like saying, Hey, I would like to have access to this area of your life so that I can bless you in it. Um, because God's, God's desire, uh, well, Jesus say God's desire is that we live life and life more abundantly, right? It's that we are more than, uh, surviving in this life, but that we're thriving, that we're, uh, we're the head only and not the tail, that we're above and not below, that we are over the entirety of our facilities and our circumstances. Um, and circumstances don't really dictate our lives. Like that's the point that, that we want to get. And a lot of people have issue with this, uh, but God wants you healthy and he wants you wealthy because if he can have you healthy and wealthy, there isn't much that you can't do for the Lord. You could be the next Elon Musk that tries to take over Twitter. You know what I mean? Like, I just kind of bring that up, and I hope that made someone laugh. Because in all honesty, I don't care one way or the other. However, I will say that's very smart on Elon's behalf. I didn't know if initially he just bought the majority of Twitter stocks so that stock would go up over 25%, cent, uh, 25%, and then sell it, and then make a huge profit. Because either way... Twitter's response to this is nothing but a win for Elon. And I'm not a huge Elon fan, honestly. I don't like the um, integrative chip process that he used where like, he, he has this implant on a chimp's head who can now play Pong on a computer with his mind because this is the kind of technology they're going to use to digitize. So I'm not like the biggest Elon Musk fan. Um, however, I will say this was a very smart move on Elon's uh, decision-making it's smart for Elon because if Twitter declines his offer, the board of Twitter is responsible for um, increasing the value of shareholders' stocks. So if they do something on purpose to devalue, in this case, refuse Elon's offer, they are then held legally liable um, by a department in, in the government that deals with stocks and have to answer to that. Or if they answer to that, they receive his offer, then they're no longer on board. And so they're trying to come out with the Sinai pill clause, as it's been called, where uh, 
essentially the uh, shareholders have uh, an ability to buy stock at a discounted price and uh, are given a certain amount of time to be able to do so to prevent Elon from being majority uh, uh, shareholder. So it's a it's a he makes his offer, he buys most of Twitter, and then people of Twitter are given time to outbuy and outbid Elon. They're trying to come up with that, and there's companies that have done that before in the past, and they've been allowed to do that or dealt with the legal ramifications for doing that because honestly it's going to boil down to fines and and it's going to be a court issue but it's just it's it's an amount of money it's how much is elon willing to pay to buy all of twitter and then it's it's a matter of how much is is the people of twitter willing to buy uh to outbid elon that's what it's going to boil down to uh because there's going to be some uh illegal maneuvers that are going to happen because honestly when you get to that level and that's kind of what i'm getting at you can get to a certain level with the lord where things are not immoral, but they're illegal. And the moral thing would be to do something that is considered illegal, like stand up for freedom. Um, you know, if if Elon's being honest or not, I don't know. Like I said, I'm not the biggest Elon fan. Um, does he have ulterior motives other than creating a free platform for everyone to express their ideas? I'm sure of it. I know this is a lucrative opportunity for him. And I wouldn't look down on him for taking advantage of this for his benefit. Um, but uh, is there ulterior motives? Sure, probably. Um, but like, like I was saying, though, is, you know, I'm trying to think of a good example. Okay, like in Venezuela, things got really bad. Food was extremely rationed. And if you're a wealthy man and you ran a soup kitchen... It would have been illegal, and you would have been fined heavy initially before uh, you had soldiers come in and, and forcibly stop you. But if you were a wealthy man and you knew that, and, and you could provide a soup kitchen for the people to relieve them of hunger for a while, you would think of it as, as, as legal for a price, meaning you're willing to pay the fines and finance for the soup kitchen. You know, you, God wants us at, at a level like that, where things might be illegal, but it's a moral thing to do, so it's legal at a price. And it's a price we're willing to pay. Um, Rodney Howard Brown was willing to hold meetings throughout the pandemic. And he was fine. And he was even arrested at one point. But it actually... <laughs> with them arresting him, it actually spearheaded a movement of freedom of religion in the United States again. And it was a check against government overreach. And the government had to back off. And not only that, now him and the sheriff who arrested him are really good friends. Um, so, like, it was it was a win-win situation for Rodney Howard Brown. And that would be a, a good modern-day example of something that really happened where it's a place where God wants us. Where, like, it might be illegal for a price. Or it might be legal for a price. But it's the right thing to do. That That's a place where God wants us all at. And, um... I've kind of went off on this trail, but I really want you to understand God's heart is that's a place where he wants us to be all of us. And is it possible? I would say, look at Luxembourg and look at Dubai where entire populations uh, manage millions of dollars in debts. They drive Lamborghinis or whatever they want to drive. And they got really expensive houses, 
you know, I, w- I would say look at these places where you have entire cities full of millionaires. Uh, it is possible. And uh, these people are thriving. Anyways. I heard the Lord say specifically, I'm going to wake my sleeping giant. And he said it just like that. I am going to wake my sleeping giant. And um, so I think that means we will be uh, woke, uh, woken up, but not from a calamity. You know, we won't have another Pearl Harbor. And uh, I really hope that's the case. And I, I praise God if that is the case. I think what he means is there's going to be a stirring that he's going to do in people's hearts to uh, get hungry for the truth. And it's people that aren't even born again. Um, and be honest, like this is not a Christian nation, nor has it been. And, um, a lot of light has been shown in a lot of our hearts. Like I've seen a lot of my shortcomings with everything that's been going on the past couple of years. And that's even being in revival. Like God shows me things as well as I see the things that he shows me go on and where I need improvement. But at the same time, I also see where, uh, there's people that, have grown up in church their whole life, but have refused to get born again. And it shows. And, um, this whole situation has really shined a light on who's born again and who's not. And you might say, well, that's harsh at, uh, at the end of the day, all that should matter is, are you born again or not? At the end of the day, all that matters is if you're not born again, you get made right with God and the wrath of God no longer abides over your head and you are no longer destined for hell, which is where you currently are if you're not born again. So you can call it harsh. You could call it abrasive. And I would tell you to think of this as a life-saving tourniquet. Like it might cause uh, you to have an arm amputated, but it saves your life. Jesus said, if your eye offends, you pluck it out. If your hand offends, you cut it off. Do whatever you got to do to enter the kingdom of heaven. All I'm saying is there are people who have grown up in church and are no closer to the kingdom of heaven than rats and cockroaches who have also grown up in the same church. Okay? And that's just the truth of the matter. And if this particularly offends you, then first of all, I have no idea who you are. So I'm not casting judgment on anyone specifically. Secondly, take this opportunity because chances are you're listening to this by yourself This is a a good opportunity for you to self-examine, okay? When I'm talking about born again, I'm talking about John 3, 3, where Jesus said, you must be born again to see the kingdom of heaven. And what I mean is, if you go to Romans 8, you can see where it talks about Holy Spirit and the people of God. And it talks about the people of God being led by Holy Spirit, and this is how they are the children of God. It also talks about the Holy Spirit witnesses with our spirit that we are the children of God. I'm talking about Ephesians 1, um, I think it's 13, but it's 13 through 15 where Paul says that those who believed on the gospel that he preached were sealed unto redemption uh, by the promise of the Holy Spirit. I'm also talking about uh, Isaiah 66, where heaven is God's habitation and the earth is his footstool, but the person who's of a broken and contrite spirit is the person he inclines his ear to. Uh, I'm talking about Ezekiel 33, where God removes the stony cold dead heart and he puts in you a heart that loves. And he breathes new life into you, which is almost direct reference to Romans 8, where the spirit of God breathes new life into you and witnesses the rebirth 
uh, that happens within you, which is God answering your plea for mercy and makes a new covenant with you is what it says in Ezekiel. And the new covenant we know is the promise of salvation through the suffering of Jesus and the washing of his blood. And that all ties into everything that's going on right now. Uh, yesterday was Good Friday and also the beginning of Passover. And Good Friday is the day that Christ was crucified. He came in. I want you to understand this. Here's some perspective. Monday earlier this week, the people of, of Jerusalem would have been welcoming him with palms. And he would have come in with a donkey and with a colt. And they would have been saying... Uh, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they're welcoming him like a king into the gates of Jerusalem. Okay. And then by Friday, by yesterday, they are shouting, crucify, crucify. Now, by on Monday, they, they heard of Jesus of Nazareth who healed lepers, who rose the dead because uh, fame about Lazarus would have just been all over the news if there was, you know, news stations back then, because shortly coming into Jerusalem, he had, um, resurrected Lazarus. They would have known him as Jesus, the multiplier of fish and bread. Uh, they would have seen him as Jesus who healed, uh, the boy of palsy who, uh, was kept on getting thrown in the fire and, and nearly drowning in water. Uh, they would have seen him as Jesus who, uh, rose the dead girl, um, they would have seen him as Jesus who healed the man with uh, thousands of demons and in Gennesaret. They would have seen him as Jesus who walked on water. They, you know, it would have been that Jesus. And that's who they welcomed in on Monday. But they didn't realize that that Jesus is also the same Jesus that says, what are you going to do about your sin problem? Uh, that, you know, you heard about the tower that fell in Lebanon and you say, oh, they must have been sinners. But I tell you, there are no worse sinners than you. And unless you repent, you'll likewise perish. You know, it's saying Jesus. And they, they weren't ready for the Jesus that said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. They weren't ready for that Jesus. They wanted the benefits of following Christ. They didn't want what it what it takes to follow Christ, which is, uh, according to Jesus, you know, it's it's uh, lay your life down. It's It's... Uh, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow him. What would it gain you to, or what would it profit you to gain the whole world and forfeit your own soul? Or what would you give in exchange for your own soul? They weren't ready for that Jesus, but it's the same Jesus. It's, it's the same. It, that is two sides to the same coin is if you want, if you want the blessings of Jesus, all the wonderful benefits of Jesus. And there are many, uh, good and beautiful and, and just great, uh, things that's in the inheritance uh, as a as a co-heir with Christ, you have to understand there is the laying down of one's life. Jesus said uh, to lay your life down, pick up your cross and follow me. Uh, it's what he told a rich young ruler who walked away uh, grieving because his possessions were many and he could not uh, forsake everything to follow Jesus. It's what uh, it's it's what he told it's what he's told everybody. It's why the Pharisees. Uh, were offended by him and tried to kill him is because they knew that what he said was right, but it was against what they were saying. And they were the current, uh, they were at the time, the policymakers in Israel, they were your Congress in a sense. And Herod was not the rightful ruler, uh, of the people of Israel. He was an insurgent that was brought in by the Roman government, um, uh, 
so you had a fake Congress. You had you had the fake executive who was Herod the monarch, uh, and you know you had this you had this governor who was put in place, not an elected official. Uh, at least the people didn't elect him. Um, from what I know, Pilate was kind of the guy that was brought in when there was too much unrest going on in the place, and he would demoralize the population. Uh, with brute strength and and strong arm them strong arm them into uh, behaving as the Roman government wanted them to behave. Uh, to which he was asking Jesus, "Well, what is truth?" And Jesus said that he was the truth. And he told Pilate, "You know, if my kingdom was of this earth, do you honestly think my followers would have let you take me?" He's like, "I'm here of my own accord. I'm here to lay my life down myself." is essentially what he was telling Pilate and Pilate's wife having a dream, uh, about Jesus saying, leave this man alone. I had a dream about him the night before. He's, he's a, uh, he's an innocent man, you know, which was God work. God works through dreams. God was working on her heart that Jesus, you know what I mean? They weren't ready for that Jesus. They weren't ready for the Jesus who, who, uh, told the, uh, palace guards who, came in a night raid, you know, you might've heard of project Veritas and their night raid who came in a night raid and said, you will not arrest me tonight because it's not my time yet to lay my life down. I will lay my life down. You will not take my life. And as we know in the garden of Gethsemane, uh, is where he, um, went with the guards that time he was laying his life down. No one could take his life, but he laid his life down willingly, not, not for great people, not for like people who quote unquote deserve it, not for your, uh, philanthropists that, that, uh, have hundreds of millions of dollars flow through their hands and they benefit the people. Although he laid his life down for them too, but also the worst of the worst. And I'm glad because if he didn't lay his life down for the worst of the worst, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be telling you about Jesus as we speak. And I will boldly tell you that if Jesus didn't lay his life down, for everybody, and that doesn't mean everyone gets to go to heaven because you have to repent and believe. But I'm telling you that if he didn't lay his life down for everybody, if he didn't lay his life down for Adolf Hitler, then I wouldn't have had a chance. Because I hated the whole world, not just Jews. I hated everybody equally. I would have been guilty of a massive global murder because Jesus said, if you have hatred in your heart, it's the same as murder. I hated everyone in the world. Uh, the whole world could have been burning at one point in my life, and I wouldn't have batted my lashes one bit. So I would have been, I would, I would be judged worse than Adolf Hitler. That being said, this is a time where God's saying we are going to be swiftly taken out of Egypt. And if you know anything uh, from Exodus, God didn't just break the yokes of oppression that were on their neck. God destroyed the oppressors. When, when the people of Israel crossed the Red Sea, the Egyptian army followed in pursuit behind them. There was a, there was a firewall that was actually
there was a firewall that was preventing uh, the Egyptian army from coming in and destroying the people of Israel as Israel was waiting for the ground to dry uh, from when Moses struck the water with the staff and the sea split. Um, and then the people of Israel crossed, uh, crossed on dry land uh, through the Red Sea. Um, the, it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart one more time. And the people of Egypt followed, or the arm, the Egyptian army followed the people of Israel after uh, the people of Israel began crossing. And uh, as soon as the, the last of uh, Israel was, was out of the Red Sea, the sea closed up behind them and swallowed up Pharaoh and his army. God is saying he's going to destroy our oppressors. Now, I'm not saying God is going to kill people, but I'm saying God is going to destroy our oppressors. Um, there are many things at work which we can both see and not see, and I know that God is going to destroy the things that we cannot see and improve upon that which we can see. Um, so I'm excited because this is, this is in a sense, a Passover uh, from the Holy Spirit. This is Holy Spirit passing over the people of the United States, and he's putting in their hearts a, a uh, thirst for the truth um, that hasn't been there. And I'm glad that um, I'm glad that people are going to wake up and they're going to desire to know what is true. And um, that's why we need to be ready. And that's why we need another wave of the Holy Spirit. That's why we need revival is uh, we need we need to get ready. We need to get ready for people to uh, desire Jesus and want to receive Jesus. And we need to give them Jesus because the kingdom is not eating or drinking. The kingdom is not in words. The kingdom is power. The kingdom is in is, is in Holy Spirit working in man, working through man, God dwelling in man, living in man, intertwined in his in the fibers of his being. And when that man speaks the truth, there's the power of the spirit of God behind it. And. Yokes get destroyed, oppression gets lifted, people get born again, people get healed, uh, and an entire nation comes to Christ. And I'm telling you, if the United States was to come to Christ, we wouldn't be dealing. We, we will, we will deal with quickly what has been uh, oppressing us, and government overreach will subsequently disappear. That is a guaranteed fact. Um, so, am I saying? preach the gospel so that the globalists don't win. Uh, I'm saying subsequently, if we preach the gospel, because there's more important things at stake, like uh, people dying and going to hell, uh, things like the globalist agenda get thwarted. Um, so first and foremost, in the forefront of my mind, is uh, the salvation of, of people. Um, they still need the gospel preached to them. Um, and the thing of it is, I also saw this. Okay. It says in Isaiah and it also says in the Psalms, like the word of God goes out and it's like, uh, water or snow on the earth and it causes the ground to sprout. Now what the ground sprouts, um, is both good crop and thorns, uh, both get brought up and Jesus made a parable. He said, while, while the, uh, while the owner of the land was asleep, uh, his neighbor, the enemy came in and so tears among his wheat. And then the servants 
uh, asked uh, the landowner, well, what should what should we do? Because he sowed wheats along with our crop, uh, trying to destroy our crop. And the landowner said, let the two grow up together. And when it comes time for harvest, we'll we'll gather our crop and then the tares will bundle up and throw in the fire. Uh, that's going to be happening. There's going to be a quickening of a lot of stuff, both good and bad. And it's to shine light on both good and bad. And that is going to be the tool that is going to be used uh, for people to see and seek truth is what I saw. So um, I wanted to make this a quick Passover message, not for the sake of Passover, but God gave me a word all day yesterday, uh, which was Passover, and uh, it was great. And I would say, especially for those who are with my home church, man, um, this would be a great weekend since we're going to be at our at our homes or wherever you're going to be this weekend because we're not having service on Sunday. This would be a great time to seek the Lord, you know, with your family or by yourself um, and position yourself for revival because I strongly believe that revival is going to hit and going to hit hard in a way that we haven't seen in a while. And it's going to be great. And it's going to be amazing. Um, Cause I'll tell you, I'm not, I'm not ready for a second wave revival. Like I physically am not ready. <laughs> um, and I'll just be open and honest. I want it. Like I, uh, there's not, there's not a part of my being that doesn't want revival. I just don't know if like I could stay awake <laughs> for revival. I've been so tired. Uh, just, just, you know, being open and honest, but I need to get ready. Like I need to be ready every way for revival. Um, I am not going to be drinking cases upon cases of monster like I did during the first, uh, bit of revival with the uh, the many different 40 days of Holy Spirit. Like, honestly, Monster should have sponsored me. Um, I was working really hard uh, in really long hours during the time. And it was even with the Monster, it was still the grace of God that I was even able to uh, stick out the 40 days. I mean, really, honestly. Um, and I'm very thankful that God showed me uh, while my family and I were in Hollywood, uh, well, Los Angeles, uh, I need for revival. Um, that was a great opportunity that, um, my pastor provided for us. And I'm still very thankful to this day and for pastors Dylan and Cara, uh, for everything that they said, um, cause it was all eye opening and it made us hungry for revival. And then we come home back to Texas and revival hit. So I am absolutely grateful and thankful. Um, and it makes me confident that God, is really good at preserving his children is really good at keeping them, uh, from falling into perdition. Uh, if they want it, it you know, if, if they want him to, to keep them on the right path, he will. And, uh, he only desires to give us good things because that's been my experience, uh, since I've been born again, um, almost 20 years ago. Wow. Um, that just kind of hit hard almost 20 years ago. And, uh, yeah, I wanted, I wanted to share that word with you and I wanted to give you that message. And, uh, I know I've gone a little bit over an hour here. Uh, but yeah, we should be positioning ourselves. And I would say all week long, um, just be asking the Holy spirit to come and 
and minister to you and dwell in you and get in your word and ask Holy Spirit to show you what the word means, you know, wherever you're reading. If you don't know where to start in your Bible, if, if like you're there and you're like, I don't even know where to read, just open up and start reading because if you abide in him, he will abide in you. Just start anywhere. Uh, there's grace. Just start and ask Holy Spirit to show you and then he'll lead you where to go. I promise you that it's just, if you will take the first initial steps and physically cracking that thing open and start reading a page and saying, Holy Spirit, would you come in, you know, and show me what I'm reading? Uh, he'll take over. He just wants you to take that first step. Uh, and there's grace. Like, it doesn't matter how long it's been, man. God is willing to just pick right back up where you left off, pick up the ax head. Like my pastor says, um, you know, it, it's, it's great. Like there, you're not too far gone. You know what I mean? And if you've listened to my podcast, you've heard me talk about revival and you've, you're not from my church and you've never experienced revival, 310 West Pipeline Road, Hearst, Texas. Again, this Sunday, we will not be there, uh, but we should be there next Sunday at 2. Um, you need to come because we're we're still in revival. Revival is still happening. It's just God told us that God is going to begin a new thing. Uh, a second wave is what he's saying. Uh, revival hasn't stopped. So, and I, I would say it's beneficial actually for you to catch the tail end of this first wave that he's done, uh, because it would be more prep, more preparation for this second wave, which is going to be an equipping of sorts to get us ready for the great awakening that I am pretty sure is going to happen. Um, so yeah, this has been the kilted preacher and, uh, this is, the first day, the first physical day, uh, of Passover and, uh, tomorrow's going to be Easter Sunday. And I hope you have a fantastic weekend and that you be blessed. You be blessed and you be blessed. The, again, this is Kilter Preacher. Thank you for listening and you have a wonderful day.